You're listening to The Itch, Rock Matters. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And we're at our last episode of the calendar year, you guys. Really? What year is it? (laughs) Oh, that's a question I don't have the answer for. I just know (laughs) that after this... (laughs) I just know that after this, our next one comes out next year. (laughs) Yeah, if there is a next year, Jesus. Oh my gosh. I'll make it. I've made it this far. I'm planning to, to make it. Uh, <laughs> we've survived this decade and it's time for, for a new one. It is really funny that you mentioned this because, you know, everybody was saying 20 years ago that the Y2K was going to be the end all be on it. More so necessarily the year leading into it, like the 1999 New Year's Eve into the year 2000. You know, Y2K was supposed to be like the end all be all. The world was supposed to end. We went through that year with no problem. It was actually a great year, especially for music. <laughs> and here we are 20 years later, and the world is kind of ending, or at least it feels like it. It's been <laughs> a lot worse year this year than, than 1999 was. That's for exactly. sure. Different uh, type of virus, not a computer virus. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Yep. <laughs> Maybe that's what I should have titled this one. From the Y2K <laughs> virus to the coronavirus. <laughs> No, I can't do that. I don't want to think too much more about either of those than I have to. Well, yeah. And now it's worse because it's mutating, but whatever. Don't don't put that in my (laughs) ears right now. (laughs) But as Dan said, music was pretty good 20 years ago. And since um, it feels like it has been so, so, so long this year, we decided that this final episode of 2020 would be about 20 albums that turn 20 this year. We covered a couple of anniversaries earlier on in this season. Um, We touched on the Deftones White Pony back in uh, episode eight and Head P.E.'s Broke in episode 18. And then we almost touched on Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory just for a split second in episode 12. But we wanted to do more, but we just haven't had an opportunity. We also wanted to cover new music and a couple of interviews and whatnot. And so we decided we could bundle up a bunch of great anniversaries right here, right now. So um, we've each selected six albums from this year, and I just gave you two more. So we're going to count that as 20. And since Linkin Park is sort of uh, an in-between, whether we could officially say we covered them or not, we'll just count that as kind of a half bonus. (laughs) My math skills have decreased greatly in this pandemic, in this quarantine. Like my brain has just turned to mush. (laughs) So has my stomach. (laughs) Amen to that one, too. (laughs) But our ears have gotten great workouts, and we're excited about that. And so, uh, yeah, let's, you guys ready to start knocking some of these out? Yeah, strap on those boots, because it's going to be, you're going to be in for a hike here. (laughs) (laughs) Up and down, all around the musical mountain here. Yeah, all over the map, I'm sure. All over the musical mountain. (laughs) So yeah, we've each picked six albums that in some way or another kind of hold a special place for us. Uh, maybe we have you know significant memories of them from this time period. And we were all in high school in the year 2000. And so it was a, uh, a formative time in our music taste. And so there's a lot of music that came out that, that really had an influence on what we would later listen to and what this sh- even this show would become. 
I'm excited to hear some of these albums and what they kind of, I guess, mean to you. So Casey, take us yeah, away. And we had a, we had a giant list to choose from and, uh, it was it was kind of tough for some of them because some of them had more meaning than others and some of them had more impact on the world of music and rock. Let's start off with one that is kind of a little bit on the different side of the spectrum, but Flogging Molly and their album Swagger. This album, I'll be honest, it uh, I gained a lot more appreciation for it being in college with you guys and doing the radio show because I've I always enjoyed playing B-sides and, and unique stuff that other stations weren't playing. So Swagger debut album from Floggy Molly had kind of the precursor to what they would become on their next next album after that with Drunken Lullabies. But, uh, you know, Devil's Dance Floor is a killer song off that album. and It was a staple of our show. For yes. Like a decade later, we were still, it was probably our most played Flogging Molly song. Yeah, I didn't personally get into Flogging Molly until we started doing the radio show, to be honest. Yeah, I always enjoyed uh, Celtic punk, you know, something about that style of music that's just really enjoyable to me. So, all right. Next album I wanted to bring up is uh, Cold and their album, 13 Ways to Bleed on Stage. Cold is one of those bands that I honestly thought that they would be bigger than what they became, you know, from their first three albums. And this was their second, but this one had all sorts of uh, hit songs on it. Bleed being my favorite one. And just kind of listening to the radio, you know, as a 16 year old kid and hearing this song, it just was kind of one of those songs that I gravitated towards at the time. But, uh, one quick thing I wanted to bring up. So, you know, listening to all of these albums, kind of preparing for this show, I listened to a lot of them on YouTube and uh, listening to the track, No One, and someone someone commented and said, I always thought that he said, no one got lattes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no one was left here, but he thought they said no one got lattes. And then someone else commented, it's almost 2021 and still no one got lattes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the internet and their lyrics. <laughs> I mean, but that was the thing back in the day. Like you, you had to guess at the lyrics. There wasn't like lyric sites that had the, every single lyric you could just easily access. <laughs> exactly. The hard times of the year 2000. Yes, the before the internet was popular was in, in your hands, yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's probably hard to comprehend for a lot of millennials because they've just never experienced that, but it was something very, very much a factor in our lives. Like it was just like right around 2000 was really when like Napster kind of started becoming a thing and, and uh, internet it still took 45 minutes to download a song. So <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. With our so dial up. Yeah, so it wasn't like you could just search, like you said, like on YouTube. You couldn't just pull up YouTube and start listening to music. That wasn't a thing. I'm pretty sure my family made no phone calls that year because I was spending all the time <laughs> Damn downloading <it>. songs. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot that. Yeah, you're right. It clogged and JPEGs. Yep, nobody could make, get a call through to our house. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Didn't want to invest in that second line. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> 
it's nice to be unavailable sometimes anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All hours of the day. Right. <laughs> All right. Up next, this band we probably will never talk about again for <laughs> reasons that uh, if you Googled, you'll find out. But uh, The Lost Prophets. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And Fake Sound of Progress, which at the time, man, this album, if you listen to the album again, it still holds up and has some great tracks on it, but just kind of getting past what uh, happened with the lead singer is kind of hard to do, which is understandable. But man, you had Shinobi versus Dragon Ninja, the fake sound of progress. Five is a four letter word. Cobra Kai, just to name a few. And they really came out hard with that album. That was probably one of my favorite bands up and coming at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just seen them live right after the fake sound of progress came out. I've seen seen them nonetheless at Mississippi nights, by Ooh, the way, yeah. it was fantastic. They were so fucking awesome. But then, yeah, then the shittiness, uh, all that was discovered, uh, you know, and, and it really, we were one of the first that kind of had to face this decision. Cause I know that like in recent years, it's kind of come to light about whether or not, people radio stations and in general like places are going to start continue to play like r kelly and michael jackson after all the accusations we had to deal with this real early on because we were huge huge lost profit fans but like you said we we could not get past that we pretty much once that happened like we've not played lost profits for years i Mm -hmm. would start something is one is still i'll put it this way is still to this day to me, one of the best start to finish albums of that time period. Right. But I can't listen to it at all. Yeah. I, I yeah. want to listen to it, but every time I think about it, I'm like, nah, I just yeah. can't do it. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Like I said, I listened to it preparing for the show and it still holds up after 20 years, but uh, yeah. it's uh, unfortunate to say the least. But back in those happier days when we could play them without having to feel weird about it. Right. Those were good days. All right. Up next, we're going to go with the the veteran of of my uh, grouping here, The Offspring with Conspiracy of One, which, you know, it could be debated whether or not this album, like where it kind of falls in their discography. And the running joke on Offspring albums is like, you know, every other one is really awesome. (laughs) It's true. And this one was also the follow-up to Americana, which was massive. Right, 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 right. So it, it was a hard one to try to to even match, much much less top. But this one, this one still had some good tracks on it. And honestly, my probably my favorite underrated song from The Offspring, "Living in Chaos," was on this album. Mm-hmm. You had a million miles away. Uh, I want you bad, and uh, original prankster. And one of my favorites on there was one called uh, Denial Revisited. Yeah, that's a great one, too. Yeah. I found out recently that the fans, Offspring fans, are big fans of the track Vultures. Yes. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's it had a lot of a lot of hits. But back in the day, listening to it, pretty much Offspring, you know, you, you would always want to listen to it and then pass judgment on it afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had more of a liking to Americana. And when Conspiracy of One came out, I I don't know, for whatever reason, I just never really got into it because I guess I just kept comparing it to Americana. I never really 
right I never really took off with with how how much i like I, I didn't you know i didn't really like it that much at, at the time i think that was the problem that they found because i feel like there was to some degree it seemed like they were trying to kind of do more americana i feel like that's where original prankster came from anyway right and it didn't land as well but then some of those deeper cuts with like a little bit different sound to them and maybe a little bit more i don't know sadness like i said living a chaos and denial revisited like those are some real good tracks buried way down there yep and no one really gives them too much attention because you know it's just how it goes sometimes yep but you know offspring's still a mega huge band so (laughs) they just put out a pretty terrible christmas song if anybody's interested (laughs) (laughs) i like the offspring but that song's bad i don't know i i I have i have such a mixed feelings about when bands are like way past their prime and they still continue making music it's just like i get it i I get the desire to continue to make music but like uh, you're almost like tarnishing your name the more you keep going (laughs) on you know i mean like yeah you're ruining your legacy yeah, depending on how good the quality of the work is. Yeah, exactly. They're also becoming one of those bands that it's just taking forever for them to do anything, which is fine. They should take as long as they need to. So they put That's out fair. a quality product so they don't put out baby, please come home. Another cover of that. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing a little bit of Christmas shade. <laughs> Well, as as we've mentioned in previous episodes, you're listening to Rock Matters, where we talk about 21 Pilots and Limp Biscuit. Up next is Limp Biscuit with Chocolate Starfish <laughs> and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. Uh, one of the worst album titles of all time. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was thoroughly surprised you had this on your list. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'll go ahead and, and say what you, you were going to say, but like, I was super, super shocked when I saw that. <laughs> Okay, to be honest, and this let's let's just kind of break it down a little bit cuz you know, Limp Biscuit this was, you know, the year 2000 was basically the height of their popularity. Mm-hmm. So they come out with this album, Chocolate Starfish from the Hot Dog Flavored Water. And they had for me the connection is for whatever reason Fred Durst was really good at latching on to just other mainstream things for me, that would be wrestling. So WWF in 2000, when the undertaker, he was injured, came back at the end of 2000 and became the American badass character. And then Roland was used as his entrance theme to kind of fast forward into 2001. uh, My way was used as a WrestleMania 17 hype video for The Rock and Stone Cold, Steve Austin. And it's probably one of the better videos that WWF ever made. It's fantastic. As yeah. far as a hype video. Was that Rock Austin 3? Didn't they fight at three WrestleManias? Um, that was the second one. Okay. I still remember that video and that song to this day, but I forgot which match it was for. And WrestleMania 17 that year in 2001 um, was probably start to finish, probably the best WrestleMania ever. So, so Limp Bizkit has a strong WWE like association. The other connection was the Take a Look Around song with the Mission Impossible mm-hmm. soundtrack yep. as well. Yeah. And that was, you know, year 2000 soundtrack songs were still really big. You don't, that's not really, that's not really too much of a thing as much now as it was then. 
so like I said, uh, Fred Durst kind of knew how to place his stuff at the right time or his management. One of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody did a good job there. Yeah. But this, this album had a ton of good songs on it. You had my way, you had my generation rolling, take a look around and, uh, and the best song. You forget exactly. the best song. Boiler. Boiler. Yeah. Boiler. It sounds a little bit weird, but this probably was the height of their popularity. Yeah. It's like definitely. if they blew it up huge with significant other, and then this was still, they were still writing that. And then some, and this album followed it up really well. And then it was whatever that album was after this. They fell well, off West cliff. left the band and that's when they did. That's when, you know, we've actually addressed that in the previous yeah. episode. Yeah. It was that, that, that album after this, I think the one where they did behind blue eyes and that they yes. were, were done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, this album probably would have been on my list if it's kind of the same thing though, as uh, one of the previous albums you mentioned is, is um, I was such a huge fan of the previous album, significant other. Right. And it just took me a real hard, a real long time to get on board with this because one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge, huge fan of this particular album is because I felt like it had gone more necessarily hip hop, but like more uh, mainstream, like techno dubstep kind of yeah. crap. Like uh, it was just like the kind of the, that was bleeding into rock music a little bit right around the time. And it, and they kind of like, there was a couple of uh, just like remixes and, things like that. Like I just didn't get into this album as much as I did significant other. Yeah. For whatever reason, he uh, references aliens a lot in this particular album for whatever yes. reason, including on the cover. Yep. For whatever. I presume those are aliens. I don't know what they are, but they're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that like boiler is by and far my favorite Limp Bizkit song ever. Yeah. The other weird thing is his relationship with uh, Ben Stiller being, <laughs> on the album a couple times so okay i forgot about that (laughs) is he just like talking on the album or yeah it's there was like an outro track where he's just talking like oh you're you're limp biscuit what does that mean you know like his his (laughs) typical his typical ben stiller stick that's funny. Look at, at the directions that the both of them went, huh? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing that was kind of weird doing. You know, you go through the Google Google search thing, and people ask questions. They're like, "Why are Fred Durst and Ben Stiller friends?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> why not? <laughs> All right, that leads me to my final album, and it is Disturbed with the Sickness. Wow. Oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> it was. Yeah, now, 20 years you, of practice. Can you do yeah. the uh, uh. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. That's hard to do without it sounding exactly like a burp. Exactly. I mean, unless it is a burp, but still. There's there's a fine line between Draymond and Burp. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just I was I had to I had to do the noise. Like anytime you stay down with the sickness, that's the, the noise that comes to mind right away. It's true, it's true. But yeah, so this was, you know, Disturbs launching pad and man, this album had all sorts of great songs on, on it. You had Voices, Stupefy, Dropping Plates, <laughs> <laughs> The Game, and Down With The Sickness, and then of course, Shout 2000, because you know, the millennium. Naturally. Yeah, and it was, it was a, a fantastic cover of Tears For Fears too. Like it was just not a song that 
anybody had covered um and, and they they knocked it out of the park with that cover and it kicked off their trend of loving to cover mostly like 80s new wave songs but then they eventually started doing some other stuff too right they like to drop a good cover sometimes of stuff they probably shouldn't touch but i don't know and this <laughs> this the sickness just overall you know set the bar pretty high for the rest of their career so yeah i mean you kind of knew when uh, maybe you didn't i don't know but i did like when i first heard the album and you just like like you said you mentioned all these different songs that were singles that were just fantastic like i i just remember hearing that album and knowing that this band was meant for great things uh, and knowing that they were going to be around for quite some time and 20 years later and you know vocal uh relearning how to sing <laughs> yeah that's crazy they've they've gone through some up and downs like there was probably a, a time where they thought they might have to call it quits because of the vocal issues that david draymond was having but he pretty much retaught himself how to sing and i guess never looked back they've been you know one of the biggest bands in rock for the last 20 years yeah i was gonna say of all the bands you just listed some of the other ones are still active but i think disturbed has had the most enduring career of the ones you listed yeah, probably almost any band on that list you sent us, to be honest. Probably. We'll have to see what you and I got to come up with here and see what else uh, what else competes. Yeah. So there was my my sixth contribute. What do you guys got? Well, I want to set the 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 tone here, the mood, uh, so to speak. Um, I got to get you in, in my mindset. OK, so uh, imagine you're a 16 year old punk ass kid. <laughs> Done. Uh <laughs> Already there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> who uh, who smokes a lot of weed and uh, works at Fazoli's, can't stand it, um, and enjoys hanging out with his friends. That's pretty much, that was me as a 16-year-old and just trying to make it through school. That's literally all I was doing. I knew it was, you know, just trying to get to that next level because I knew high school didn't mean a damn thing. So, yeah, that, that was my mindset, and I was just a... a punk ass kid just trying to work and and get my uh you know get my money for stuff so a lot of the albums that i have listed are are pretty big albums too but uh you know each one of them has like different things that they mean to me and every time i like see one of them different memories comes to me uh, one of the first albums i want to focus on is a perfect circle uh their album that came out merda gnomes it's actually their first album and it was a side, obviously the first kind of side project that Maynard did, but really it was like the first side project that I don't know, like other than Ozzy kind of set the tone doing a solo stuff, like not too many bands that I had known had like, or at least artists kind of went out and just did other stuff with other bands and, and made it as successful as what Maynard did with a perfect circle. Um, so I had a lot of respect for that. And then, the whole album is fantastic. And one of my favorite songs of all time is on that album, a song called three Libras. Mm -hmm. And um, at at, at the time being a 16 year old punk ass kid, I was in a band, you know, because that's what 16 year old punk ass kids do. (laughs) I was the lead singer of a band. And uh, that was the song that we performed. And and we actually did a very, what, you know, of course I was biased cause it was my band, but <laughs> we did a really good rendition acoustic ver- version of three Libras that I sang in high school. And uh, th- so that song has like a, a lot of personal meaning to me in the, in the album itself too, just because it brings back those memories of being in a band and, and hanging out with the guys in the band and, and like just having di- lots of different fun doing that kind of stuff. And I have other memories too. Like, so another album that 
was huge at this time because it was their their sophomore release. They were already a huge band in, in their own right. Was Godsmack and Awake, and this was their sophomore release. Like I said, uh, I actually got into this band when their self titled album came out. Me and my friend Alec were just that's all we'd listen to. Like we'd listen to the self titled album in his house like every single day. And so when Awake came out, I had high hopes for it, and that album hit every single mark of my expectations. Like there's some really really good songs on there, like Awake, um, Going Down bad magic uh, sick of life like there's just so many fantastic songs and i had to say one of my favorite memories with this song and uh, um don't tell my wife but uh is <laughs> <laughs> is with this album i should say is uh i had a a friend that was a girl back in high school that uh we ended up hanging out one night all night long and we were listening to this album and just kind of doing different things like, you know, playing games and stuff, cards and stuff and like that in her room. But I, I do remember like this album is literally on repeat all night that night for whatever reason. And then it got to be like six, seven o'clock in the morning. And at that time, it was just kind of become funny to us because the song, you know, it was just you know, probably like the 10th time we've heard Awake and we were <laughs> far from it. But, you know. <laughs> It's the time that everybody else in her house was waking up and we were still awake. So I, I still remember that to this day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, lots of good times uh, were had. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was one of the few times that I actually had with that particular person. So that's why it kind of stuck around too. Hmm. another, you know, it's <laughs> when in high school, I, I guess I was just trying to chase the ladies. You know, I guess most pretty much most high schoolers are doing right. Uh, uh, not me. I had no idea what to do. I didn't. I well, still don't know what to do. <laughs> another lady friend that I was interested in got me into a band called Orgy, and I'm thinking maybe when, uh, you know, when I was in high school, and she's like, "Do you like Orgy?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I like Orgy." <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, and she's like, "No, the band." I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, they're good too." I guess. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was a little bit more susceptible to wanting to hear them. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> so, no, it was it was another uh, friend that was she was really into the band and uh, we were hanging out around a lot. Uh, so it, she got me into candy ass. Uh, and so did some other friends that I was listening when I was a, a, a freshman in high school. And then they came out with vapor transmission. Now, it wasn't obviously as as successful as candy as but i was just really into that type of music like the electronic sound like corn and i i know that uh some some limp Bizkit, like we were kind of just talking about had some some electronic sounds but um, yeah it was it was definitely the millennium style yeah, yeah exactly yeah because yeah. like power man 5000 they all kind of had that like that weird electronic sound i kind of liked their sound at that time and i i thought that they would have i mean all things considered including the name i thought they would have more staying power than they did because vapor transmission it's not a bad album it just was like a dud compared to the previous album yeah personally i mean well you know to be fair though the only reason why their first album was a success was because of the single uh or the i'm sorry the cover song uh blue monday Yeah. yeah like stitches was a pretty successful single but that's that's literally the only song that most people know off of the first album was stitches and blue Monday. 
and honestly, there were more singles off the second album that people might be more familiar with, like Fiction, a song called Eva, and then the other song, uh, Opticon. Ah, uh, Opticon. I forgot yeah. about that one. That was fun. Yeah. There's, and then there's like a, another single, I think, called Eyes Radio Lies. So, I mean, there was actually four singles off that album, but because it just they didn't they, it couldn't create the success that they had with blue monday like it just really never uh took off i think what killed them was that for whatever reason they didn't include a, a cover song on their second album <laughs> I, I just for whatever reason i think that that could have done a little bit more benefit for them just uh you know and trying to show their sound and, and how they're morphing songs into their own kind of flavor so yeah kind of connect from one one yeah. album into the other but i really liked the album i thought it was a great album to be honest yeah I, like i said it wasn't obviously as good as candy ass or every single song on candy ass was fantastic but i think they still maintain that same sound they uh continued to you know put out some really really good songs and singles it just because it wasn't and i, I don't think radio picked up on it as much like they just didn't play that much right. singles yeah. Like I said, it wasn't a bad album. It just didn't really get near the love that Blue Monday did. Yeah, and they fell off the face of the earth when they released Punk Static Paranoia, which was their third album. Yeah. Which hardly had any singles or anything <laughs> off of it. As a band, they've barely been heard from since. Exactly. And what, and what did come out that I heard wasn't very good. But yeah, uh, I mean, the, the band members have done other things. Jay Gordon's done a lot of remixes for other artists and stuff, but... They uh they played a concert out here in O'Fallon two years ago at a, a little club called Brewski's and I I didn't find out until like the week after and I was so pissed because I tough I definitely would have gone out and seen him because it was such a small club that there's no doubt that I would have gotten to meet Jay Gordon and just you know I, I was still I'm huge I'm still a huge fan and it just would have been awesome to see them I'd never seen them live it'd be interesting to see or to hear how they operate today. Exactly. If it's even like the same band altogether, or if it's just like him and a different lineup, that's what a lot of these bands end up doing at that point in their career. I am orgy. Yeah. <laughs> it's rarely the same lineup after you've like fallen off the face of the earth and haven't made an album in forever. You're not really a band, but sometimes somebody's like, you know what? I could still use this name. And so, well, I mean, I think for the most part, it is Jay Gordon. Like you said, I mean, it's yeah. kind of the singer. He's been the face of the band for years. Yeah. He's always I mean, been the main guy songwriter. Anyway. So. All right. So going on to my next album, that was a huge influence from 2000 as an album called something like human from Speaking a band called fuel. <laughs> I think fuel might've been one of the bands that did what I just said, <laughs> I'm not hundred yeah. percent that, but I'm pretty sure it's another one where like the lead singer kind of, probably operate don't quote me on this oh yeah but. no he did he he uh axel rose his band yeah <laughs> yeah he he uh he because he, their last album puppet strings or something like that that just came out like three or four years ago was completely in your lineup but uh no back in <laughs> so, so there's so there's a couple reasons why i really love this album for one some of the best singles that fuel had were on this album last time hemorrhage scar bad day Innocent. These were fantastic songs. The album itself is a, is a complete album. is just a great, great album from start to finish. Yep. Um, but it's not that the reason why I, I remember this album and why it was so influential. But I, I wouldn't say influential, but just just one of the my favorite memories around this time 
is uh, they were playing at a point fest. It was one of the best point fest. I don't even know if the point fest was 2000. I think it was 2001, maybe. And maybe it was 2001. So they were playing at a point fest. And I still remember the lineup for the most part. It was uh, on the main stage head PE opened. And then there was like monster magnets, stained fuel, our lady peace. Oh, what was the other? It was a couple of other bands. Uh, that was the one that Weezer headlined. And or no, I'm sorry, Weezer was there, and then Run DMC actually headlined it. I was so, going to say, wasn't there a rap group uh, that yeah. was? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so Run DMC actually headlined it. But like, I, I remember Fuel coming out, and it was hotter than hell that day. It was so <laughs> freaking hot that like people were literally uh, taking mud baths in the lawn because it was so hot and humid. The lead singer came out. And he had a leather outfit on. He had a fucking <laughs> leather red shirt and some of these like red leather pants. And I'll never forget the pants because like that's just that's just an image I will never forget. Because, like, <laughs> you know, of course, like it got hot. So he takes off his shirt. And so here you got this half naked man standing on stage performing. And he's got these red leather pants. They just looked absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like, They're like melting to him. Well, yeah, and especially like, you know, <laughs> you're at a rock show with all these huge rock bands that like, you know, all about just making rock music and you're out there wearing fucking leather pants like you look <laughs> like an idiot, man. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like every every time I saw them, I just they're thinking like, what the hell? What are you doing? Like, where you had did a you bad get day. How did you squeeze yeah. into them? <laughs> when he got back to his trailer and like took him off, like his entire skin came with him. Yeah, he probably had to put some damn lotion to just fit him on his ass. Like, I don't, <laughs> slide him up. Get the petroleum jelly out, guys. I got my leather pants out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You'll so, never forget that. Yeah, I, that's never. I mean, it's it's impossible. There's no way. And the other thing is, too, is um, I was playing a hockey game on the Sega Genesis, I think, whatever system was popular around. I think it was PlayStation 2. Was I was going to say playstation yeah yeah whatever was popular back in 2000 i've gone through so many i don't even know yeah, yeah um but there was a hockey game i was playing and scar was on there the uh from the something like human and i played the crap out of this game and so i probably heard that song so many times that i could probably like hear it in my sleep sing it in my sleep it was just it was that was a lot i heard it a lot <laughs> it's one of those video games that had like four songs on it yeah, I was going to say the er- the early days of PlayStation when they they only had certain amount of tracks per per space. <laughs> yep. So like, what songs can we license and make people sick of and hate forever? Yep. And they did it. They did a great job of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on to my next album. This album is a cover album, but it's significant to me for a couple of different reasons. Um, so the next album is Rage Against the Machine: Renegades. And one of the reasons why it's significant to me is because it is the last Rage Against the Machine studio album. I, I know it's like a cover album, so it's not like really new music for them. But this was one of my favorite. This I'm sorry, not one of them. This was my favorite band uh, back in 2000 when Evil Empire came out. Like I, I just I, I don't know. I clung to this band. Like I loved Bulls on Parade. I love People of the Sun. Like that whole entire album was just amazing. And then they came out with. I think it was in 98 was when uh gorilla radio came out. Is that right? Somewhere in yeah. 99, maybe 99, 99 I think. 99. Yeah. Yeah. It was 99. So 
not yet. They had just released Gorilla Radio. I had become even more of a fan of this band because Gorilla Radio is one of my favorite albums of all time. I'm sorry, The Battle of Los Angeles is what yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the album with Gorilla Radio on it. And I was supposed to see them live. I'm pretty sure I said this story before in another one of uh, our episodes. I don't know which one. Maybe uh, our episode dictionary or <laughs> can tell us, Aaron. Yeah. Sorry, I I was zoning out for a second. I, I was looking to research on one of my own, so my own yeah. album. Who are we talking about? Do you remember Rage? what album we talked about? The story of why I don't like the BC Boys and never got to see Red Against Machine live. Um, I give me a second, and I might be able to put that together. I got to look back through some of the episodes. I'm assuming it was the episode we talked about Red Against Machine Declaration. Yeah, probably episode six. Yeah. Maybe for some reason I feel like it was the the red, white, and blue one though, that but I don't know why the, that context would have been. So, in our previous episode, I explained the story of why I never got to see Rage Against the Machine live and why I absolutely hate the Beastie Boys. <laughs> but yeah, Renegades came out in two thousand. It was a fantastic album. Some great cover songs on there, like Renegades, for instance, and they also had How to Kill a Man. How, I'm sorry, How I Could Just Kill a Man cover of Cypress Hill, the ghost of Tom Joe to cover of Bruce Springsteen, um, which had been released before, but wasn't actually on an album until this. And the other thing is, too, is if you got the deluxe version of Renegades, which I don't know if you guys knew this, if you got the deluxe versions of Renegades, you could also get No Shelter live. Okay. And that was the only way, like, unless you actually went out and bought the Godzilla soundtrack, which was just not that great of a soundtrack at all. There was no other way of getting no shelter. And this again, this was before Napster. This was really before like the only way we could get songs was either recording them off of a freaking tape when you listen to the radio. That's or... exactly how I got no shelter. I yeah. actually probably still have that cassette. I think it I think it comes right before or after uh forty six and two. <laughs> yeah. And like and it was always the edited version too. Like I for the longest time had no idea that he said uh, the MF, like MF were in the middle of it. Yeah. Cause it was like, they just took it all out. Like I didn't, I had no idea that that's what he said during that part when he's like, Godzilla, pure motherfucking thriller. Get your oh, eyes yeah, yeah. on the killer. <laughs> right. I, I had no idea. He, he said that for the longest time. Cause the only version I'd ever heard was on the radio and they yeah. did it like a really good job of just like blanking it out. Yeah. So I, it's kind of funny, but yeah, Rage Against the Machine, Renegades, great cover album. They had some really good songs on there, and it was the last uh, chance we got to hear them from the, in the studio because after that they broke up, and and the rest is history. Yeah, they wanted to quickly get out of their record deal and go their separate ways. Yeah, Zach, and I get it. I mean, Zach was the one that was writing the majority of the, the lyrics, and he just wasn't inspired. He felt that they kind of became too commercialized, kind of the almost the Kurt Cobain story, so to speak. Yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, my uh, last album that I want to go over is probably my favorite of all these albums and my favorite of any of the albums that you put on that list. And it's Papa Roach's M-Fest. There, I, I can't explain the feeling that I got when I first heard Last Resort. I I, I don't know. Like, it, it's just one of those things that, like when you hear a band or when you hear a song that just is like, right up your alley. Like, you know, it's one of those things like it's, it's just the style that you're digging into that, at that moment. And it just fits everything like lyrically that you're looking for. 
um, and, and just where you are in your life. And, and last resort was kind of that situation where like, it was just, I don't know. I can't, like, I really can't even put words to it. Like I just was so obsessed with that song. And then I get into the album and I discovered the other song that just absolutely uh, made me fall in love with this band. And it's a song called between angels and insects. And like, yeah, that's those two songs are probably like some of my favorite Papa Roach songs of all time. Uh, and maybe some of my favorite songs of all time. I, you know, it's funny. Cause like, you probably, if if <laughs> I would love to go back in time and and like see myself listen to Last Resort for the first time, and just tell myself you're gonna have a son named after the lead singer of that band. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably believe myself to be honest. Be like, damn, that was a really good song. He's probably gonna go on to do some great fucking things. <laughs> well, and that's that's the funny thing, considering Papa Roach. You know, this was kind of their. I mean, they've been around longer than than this, but again, the chame- chameleons of rock morphed yeah. into that rap rock style uh, that everyone else was catching that train on around this time. Yeah, well, this was their breakthrough album. Last Resort was their first single, and I remember seeing it on TRL and just voting and, and calling in <laughs> and doing the stuff that all the teenagers do- were doing back in the day and uh, trying to get it on, you know, number one, past all those crap mickey mouse teenage <laughs> mickey mouse <popper>. club yeah <laughs> it was it was a fight back then we were fighting for the rock <laughs> to get represented <laughs> you guys laugh because you know it's true you were you were calling in to trl and shit too <laughs> I, I, I don't know if i ever called in but i was happy like texts or something. i don't even know how to do it <laughs> whatever it was I just know that I was happy because there was a long stretch of time where POD was beloved by TRL. Yeah. And they were my band at that time. And I was yeah. like, yeah, some little San Diego rap rockers up in here instead of <laughs> doing sync track. All right. Yeah. Between POD and the Deftones. Was the Deftones in there? Yeah. 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 It was always Corn and, and Limp Biscuit on there too. The big dogs at the time. A lot of the rap rock on the TRL. Yeah. Unfortunately, I couldn't include P.O.D. on my list because Southtown, the fundamental elements of Southtown came out in 99. Right. But um, I do have one related to that. I'm going to save them for the end because they're they were the biggest one to me at that time. So I'm going to start with another pop punk band. You you introduced the offspring and I got to I got to go back there. So I've got Goldfinger with the album Stomping Ground came out that year. Goldfinger is a band that I still have a major soft spot for i've actually been listening to them quite a lot lately not the least of which because they put out uh, an album a couple weeks ago and they've had a nice number of quarantine performances over the past few months but they're a band that i was introduced to by tony hawk with the album the track superman which i still adore (laughs) which is not on this album but what this album did have was 99 red balloons another Maybe the third or fourth act we've mentioned here where one of their biggest tracks is a cover of an 80s song. (laughs) And so they covered Nina, a German pop singer, and that song is fantastic. And it's not the only good one on the album, but it is my favorite one on the album. So Goldfinger gets a spot. I just got fond memories of listening to them with with friends in high school. And the album cover is pretty great. It's 
it's this weird image of the whole band pretty much destroying Tokyo like they're Godzilla. Speaking of no shelter. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it's a lot of fun. I'm pretty sure everyone our age played uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater at some point or another. Yeah. You you probably also know some of the, tra- like at least one, Counting the Days, I feel like is something, a song that people probably know. They did a couple of other covers. They did, I don't know. It was just a fun album and another one in their arsenal that I enjoyed. It was also the last one that they had with their original guitarist who since came back. But the album after this was where I, didn't care for them as much because they had lost him and he really seemed important to their sound. And also it was when they got really preachy about animal rights. And <laughs> while I am a, a supporter of animal rights, they, they went too hard. They, t- <laughs> they, they took it to another level. It was just too much for me, especially at that time. And so I was like, ew, I don't know if I like you anymore, but stomping ground was still, was still my go-to. Another one that this one really was probably like freshman year of college. And it's a band that the itch collectively is not huge on, but was the biggest band in the world to me for a year or two. And that is Evanescence. Their debut album Fallen came out later. Well, the one I'm talking about is called Origin, which is really interesting because it's kind of like a glorified demo. Yeah. In that all the tracks on it, not all the tracks, a few of the tracks like Whisper and My Immortal uh, and Imaginary showed up on Fallen, but a lot of these span a whole bunch of different kind of genres where you almost feel like Amy Lee and Ben Moody, who was kind of her main collaborator at the time, were trying to figure out where they wanted to go or maybe what sound would get them attention. And so it's a really interesting one because there's a lot of great tracks, but of, of such different styles. There's like a full on like love ballad on there and then a few tracks later there's a track about death and then a couple tracks after that there's a track that features like this death metal screaming from bruce fitzhugh of the band living sacrifice and so it's wild and an instrumental this beautiful like like soft instrumental and so i don't know it was um and this was also like right at the peak of my downloading songs off the internet thing and so i was i collected every evanescence track i could it was it was dan told a story about you know with the godsmack album evanescence also has a connection to a girl for with me from college and we went and saw them at pops once and that was a pretty memorable show and so it was it's fond memories with that particular album i'm really kind of surprised about that so do you think that ben moody was one of the reasons why you didn't stay a fan of that band because well, you know, he left so quickly or, um, well, he, I don't know. He and Amy said they'd known each other for a long, long time. And it seems like, hmm, I do think he was very important to their sound. And cause he was also there from through fallen, but not after that, I don't believe. And it just seemed like one of those things where Amy Lee was, was the band, but not necessarily in a great way. For example, Trent Reznor went to bat and being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as Nine Inch Nails, went to bat to have like the rest of his band inducted. Amy Lee seems to have a different group of people backing her up on every album that she makes. So there's something about that that always kind of turns me off to somebody. And so that probably was more to do with it. Which related to that, I saw her at Vintage Vinyl 
for an acoustic show and she was a knockout. And so I had a huge crush on her at the time too. That was also a big part of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you think that she had a good voice live? Cause I always, I've always heard multiple stories. That that's one reason why they never really took off is because her voice is not as good live as it is on the albums. It's been so long since I've seen them. I remember it sounding great, but I also, it's probably been at been, you know, 17 years or something since I saw her. So I, I, could be wrong and or it could have changed since then she definitely has one of those more like operatic yeah. kind of style vocals and so it's a it's a different sound than most rock vocalists live that's for sure but yeah evanescence was like like a huge part of my world for a year or two in college if you thought that's a surprising one um the next one was a huge part of my world for a year or two in high school and i'll explain why Lifehouse with the album No Name Face <laughs> featuring the hit single Hanging by a Moment, which I believe was like the most played track of the whole world in like <laughs> 2001 or something. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so I've Lifehouse is another band. I have fond memories of searching for everything I could find by them. A bunch of demos up. And there are some genuinely cool songs on that, like Six Cycle Carousel. There's one called Simon. And I went to the the main thing that kept them in my memory and made them stand out when I was looking through these anniversaries was the track Everything, the closing track on there. Two reasons. One is that it was used. It was used in the TV show Smallville in the yep. first season, maybe the first even episode. It was real early on. And I adored Smallville. And two, I went to a tiny Christian high school. And anytime they felt that there was something kind of in the mainstream that you could you could kind of swing either way in terms of what they're singing about. People tended to latch on to that. And Lifehouse in general was one of those bands. And the track Everything in particular was one of those songs where it's like, maybe this is about a girl, but maybe it's about God. And so <laughs> they would play everything in our chapel services from time to time. The high school like worship team would. And so I heard that song a bazillion times. <laughs> and and so it's it's definitely i don't remember the entirety of this album if i'm being honest but that particular song is stuck forever <laughs> i always thought that band was just going to go on to be like one of the biggest bands of all time because of how big that single was and it wasn't just that single they had a couple of different songs that came out around the time that was just huge a few years later they had you and me which was like a whole bunch of people's like wedding song for a year or two right yeah they were huge for a while, but yeah, they, they, I don't even know what they're up to now. They, I think they're still a band, but yeah, the last album was not. in 2015. Okay. Yeah. They're definitely not on the level of what they were, but that was kind of a style that I think it was hard to stay that popular with. Cause there were so many bands that had similar sounds that you, mm -hmm. you kind of just got lost in the noise. I feel yeah. like, but um, speaking of spiritual things, my fourth selection here is our lady peace with spiritual machines which was based on a novel about um, I don't know entirely what it was about, but it was sort of this relationship between like robot. It was like a, a robots gaining consciousness kind of thing. And, uh, and, and humanity and human nature might be my favorite. Our lady peace album was definitely the last one before they met Bob rock. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you listen to, if you listen to the bush episode episode 17 you will know our feelings about bob rock 
but so it's really funny because i had mentioned the concert with fuel you know um you know in the awesome leather pants that same concert i have a great memory about our lady peace and i didn't really know much about this band at the time like of course our lady peace had what like 15 radio singles that were played all oh, yeah. the time yeah 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 this time uh well it was one of the reasons why it was so hot and humid that day is because it was pouring down rain uh, earlier in the day. And it was so it was actually raining during Our Lady Peace's set. And this was back when the lawn uh, at the amphitheater used to have a tarp on it. Yeah. Um, and I think this was the last year that it had the tarp on it because oh, wow. um, several people had ripped the tarp up so that we could hold it up. Well, so we weren't getting soaking wet. Um, and we watched the concert from under this tarp with water holes dripping through like all the cigarette burns and stuff like <laughs> And so like I remember, yeah, I, that's how I remember seeing Our Lady Peace. And like, I didn't know the band. It was just really funny because like they played a song. Like, OK, I know this song. They play the next song. OK, I know this song. Like, hey, I, re- I know like every song they played so far. Like, this is a great band. This is a great show. Like they were. They were fantastic. They made quite an impression. That's when I became a huge fan of them because I, I didn't really know. I mean, like I said, I, I knew their songs, but I didn't know who they were. I didn't know that, like, oh, those all belong to the same band. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were a band that they hit it real big with, you know, Superman's Dead and stuff in the mid-90s. And then... Yeah, clumsy. And then, yeah, and then with that Bob Rock album, the one after this called Gravity, they had Somewhere Out There, which is probably, like, their biggest track, like, ever, most most likely. At least it's up there with them. So they kind of had a, a little revival of popularity for a minute. And in all fairness... I actually don't hate that album at all. I kind of like it, Gravity, largely because that was a particular time in my life where I always wanted every band to get bigger and heavier. And yeah. and that's what Bob Brock does. He sometimes makes you suck, but he also <laughs> makes your sound like sticker. Sometimes. You know I mean? But well, he, like if you think, just think about the sound, like it was a thicker, like more distorted guitar. That's because he, like he probably was on the guitar. Hey, yo, it <laughs> sounds awesome. really good. If but, I played on this track, but spiritual machine, <laughs> but spiritual machines felt like like the culmination of like the first half of their career, and then Gravity was like the second half of their career, and it's just spiritual machines is a good album. I spent a whole summer driving around listening to that album in college in like 2005, which is a weird time, I guess, to be listening to this album from 2000, but whatever. It just was resonating with me at that time, so. Um, I got another one that you guys probably will very loosely remember because I think I had you play them occasionally in the early days of the itch. I'm not 100% sure. And that is a band called Earthsuit. Yep. Casey, do you know that one at all? Yeah. Earth- yeah. So so going going back to the to the Christian high school kind of thing, we touched on Christian rock in the Red episode, uh, which was episode six, but I don't know how much aware how aware you guys are of like the culture behind that and so like there are bands like red or like skillet who like are christians and who tour with other bands of their style whether or not they like share the same beliefs or not it doesn't really matter there's also a whole world like a whole industry that actually is christian rock okay Mm -hmm. it's like its own radio stations all that kind of stuff and that whole style particularly in like the nineties still to this day, but definitely back then had a reputation of always being like a couple years behind the trends and like trying to follow and catch up with the sounds that were popular. And so I discovered this band in 2000 called earth suit and they were the opposite of that. 
And I still don't entirely know how to describe them to this day, other than they were like mind blowing because they were a, a Christian rock band, but they sounded ahead of the curve instead of behind it. <laughs> so they were like kind of an alternative rock band, but they also had like reggae and like jazz yeah. kind of sounds to them. A little bit of funk here and there. Kind of jam bandy a little bit. Almost. There's definitely a couple of tracks that seem to to flow a little bit in that direction. And that album, it's called Kaleidoscope Superior, which I don't think I've said to this point, so sorry, is their only real album. They had one more after that that was more or less just like a collection of leftover scraps for their fans. But it was the only album they really ever put out. And it's a darn good album. I just listened to it last week just to see if it held up. And it still kind of feels like it does. It's like thick. They were known to have a heavier live show. And then also it introduced me to a dude named Paul Meany, who would later go on to front the band Mute Math that we played also briefly on the itch and that I became a huge fan of for a few years. Mute Math lasted a lot longer than Earth Suit and um, also was known for bending a lot of genres. And so um, and Paul Meany got his start with the band Earth Suit. So that's how they ended up on my list. Yeah, I definitely remember you playing Earthsuit in our dorm room back in college. So that's how I was introduced to them. And it was good stuff. It was it was good. And it sounded so different than most of what I was was getting at that time from that like area of music. And I didn't I'm not saying I, I didn't have great taste either, if I'm being honest. But I still recognize that there was something cool about this sound that that I appreciated. They didn't sound like any other Christian rock bands or any other mainstream rock bands, which is great. All right, so we got we're got time to, to my last one here. And that is the band that one of the bands that definitely got me into the heavier stuff, especially what to me is like the heavier end of what I actually like, which was Project 86 and the album Drawing Black Lines. It was their second album, and it was also unlike anything else I'd heard before. It was definitely in that like alt metal kind of thing, but their singer Andrew Schwab like I don't even know if you'd call it screaming. He 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 really mostly was just yelling at you the whole time. <laughs> like it wasn't necessarily singing, but it wasn't screaming. It was just like someone was trying to tell you something from like down the street. <laughs> like re- <laughs> like as loud as they could talk to you. And <laughs> he was very intense. It was very poetic and the music was a, a, a what to this day on that album I still find to be a, a unique sound. It was grimy and it was thick and it was it was aggressive and it had a lot of energy and he resonated with me a lot. They were also good friends with P.O.D., which is the connection that I was trying to think about earlier. They were good friends with P.O.D. and they went on tour a lot together. I distinctly remember trading a P.O.D. album with for a project album with one of my good friends in high school. So we like introduced each other to our <laughs> our favorite heavy band. So, yeah, Drawing Black Lines, I think it's a. I would actually call that like kind of an underrated classic in that genre. What were some of your favorite tracks on that album? Um, there's a song called PS and a song called chimes that are both really haunting. If that's your thing. Chimes is chimes is my favorite. Yeah, chimes. chimes I agree. Yeah. Uh, their single was called one arm man um, or play on in parentheses. Cause we like those. And then I was a sucker for a couple tracks called the near the end called chapter two and open hand. Right. Those are probably my favorites from that album. They were they were beasts. So yeah, that's my that's my six. I like that we all 
covered such a variety. I mean, new metal and new metal ish things were the flavor of the day. And so our, there's definitely a lot of that in our lists, but I still think it was fun to, to explore a few things and see, and just like talk about how they resonated with us, especially in those like formulative late teen years. Yeah. You get to see some insight of the kind of music that inspired us to go on to want to be on the radio and talk (laughs) about music for a living. I'm pretty sure that Lifehouse is the only one of these bands that we've never played on our show. (laughs) And that's totally fine. I think you're correct. I know I talked you into playing Earthsuit and probably snuck in an Evanescence in a Goldfinger like once or twice. Yep. Definitely not in major rotation, but you know. (laughs) Wow, we actually did play Evanescence at the beginning of this year, but that was pretty much it. It was a cover song, wasn't it? Yep. Yep, it was a cover of The Chain. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, there you have it. That was our 20 albums of 2000. And definitely uh, was quite the the journey. Nothing like a stroll down memory lane, um, getting a little bit more insight on us. And and just, you know, it's fun to see albums 20 years later to how they held up. And, And honestly, most of the albums that inspired us seem to have held up pretty well over the years. And the list that we pulled them from of of rock band of rock albums having anniversaries this year was twice as long, at least, of what we selected. So, hey, if any of those other albums that we didn't mention and I'm still not going to mention now are among your favorites or special to you from that era, we would love to hear about it. And you can let us know all about it through Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, or the web at itchrocks at all of those actually <laughs> and uh and you can leave that voicemail itrocks.com you can leave a voicemail if you want to actually be played potentially on a future episode and the other forms of contact sometimes we just like to read stuff from people out loud on the air but we do love feedback we do and we like hearing other people's stuff so like what what albums from the year 2000 had a lasting impact or memory on you i'd love to hear it please let us know Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our stroll down memory lane and a little bit more insight into who we are as The Itch. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And you've been listening to The Itch Rock Matters. And until next time, rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S. This is a fine line between Draymond and Burp. <laughs>